Welcome to Anchor and Flank with Brad Mayhew, Episode 2. This is a podcast about operational learning. It's about using the past to make yourself stronger and smarter for the future. And especially, it's about learning from accidents and tragedy. I focus heavily on the Yarnell Hill Fire, where 19 firefighters from the Granite Mountain Hotshot crew died in 2013. I served as lead investigator of that accident, and I've spent most of my adult life in and around the fire service. Those experiences inspired me to do this podcast, and it's meant for firefighters who want to learn from what happened with Granite Mountain and do something meaningful for the future of the profession. In the last episode, I read a few chapters of my first book, Origins, released in summer 2020. We're going through that book together because it's a great way to set the stage for a lot of the topics we're going to talk about uh, later in the podcast. Last week, I shared the story of how I came to question whether we had really learned anything from the loss of the Grand Amount of Achats. And it was one of those things that kind of gnaws at you in the middle of the night looking at a warming fire. And then you try to forget about it the next morning and just get on to the next shift. Well, in this episode, we're going to pick up from where we left off. Here goes. This is from Origins by Brad Mayhew. Chapter 5. How We Honor Our Fallen. After a tragedy... Families and communities honor their loved ones with efforts like memorial services, statues, sporting events, and charities. But within the fire service, we honor our fallen our way by learning from them. We confront the past. We find a way to make ourselves better for the future. We see something bad. We do something good. This is the core of our firefighter identity. And we don't just do it for the fallen, we do it for ourselves, and our future, and those who will come after us. And we do it for everyone who has not lost their firefighter, father, mother, brother, sister, boyfriend, girlfriend, best friend. And we do it for the public we swore to serve. Just look at our history. The 1937 Blackwater Fire led to professional hotshot crews which led to the first, excuse me, it led to professional fire crews, which then led to the first hotshot crews. 1949, the Man Gulch Fire, that led to fire behavior research and training. The 1970 California Fire Siege, that led to the Incident Command System. The 1994 South Canyon Fire, led to leadership and human factors training. The 2001 September 11th attacks led to an expansion of the incident command system into a national management system, national incident management system. So today, every federal disaster response, not just fire, every disaster response is organized under the NIMS framework. So these examples barely scratch the surface. We could fill pages listing ways that firefighters created progress after tragedy. And the pattern is, after a major accident, we have investigations. 
then we have breakthroughs, then we have decades of development. Chapter 6. Remember when you first heard. June 30, 2013. Every firefighter I know remembers when they first heard about the Granite Mountain hotshots. I was serving as chief investigator on the Saddleback Fatality, in which a firefighter was struck by a tree in Northern California. We had wrapped up the investigation, and we were finishing the report. And as we worked, fire ripped across the muted TV set in the background. Scrolling text shouted, breaking news, about a hotshot crew in Arizona. We turned up the volume and listened, and I was sure they had it wrong. And I got back to work. The next day, my phone rang, and I was asked to join the new investigation in Arizona. Well, Saddleback was essentially complete. The team lead and another team member said they could handle the final touches. It seemed like a plan. I trusted them. And with their agreement, I accepted the new assignment and flew to Phoenix. There, I helped build the Yarnell Hillfire Serious Accident Investigation Team, and I served as the lead investigator. Chapter 7. Success and Silence The Yarnell Hillfire Investigation took just under three months to build and release. All things considered, I thought the end result was a solid foundation for learning. Our work was done. We passed the baton. I did not talk about the accident much publicly, except training small groups of firefighters who asked. I spent most of my career avoiding the spotlight, and Yarnell drew non-stop fighting. I wanted no part of it. Instead, I applied my energy where I thought I could be productive. I figured, let the report speak for itself. And another reason that I didn't want to talk about the accident was this. When I took the job of lead investigator, I knew it would be tough. But I made a commitment to myself to do my best to protect the integrity of our work and to give my utmost for the future of the fire service so other firefighters wouldn't have to repeat the tragedy. I made a promise, and I kept it. And that came at a high price for me. And I wanted it behind me. What made the effort worthwhile was I knew something good would come out of it, one way or another. After the investigation, I went home to San Luis Obispo, California, and tried to catch up with my girlfriend and our little dog. I wrote the Yarnell Hillfire case study, which was released in 2014 and posted alongside the official report, and I focused on other investigations. I made snowboarding a priority, of course, and I got back to fighting fire. Chapter 8. My Roots Before we go further, this is a good time to share a little more about my background. I'll give you an overview from when I started in the fire service up to today, because all these experiences shape my point of view as I write for you now. September 11th happened my senior year in college. I signed up to become a wildland firefighter as soon as I graduated, and I spent my early years on the Los Padres Hotshot crew 
stationed outside of Santa Barbara, California, up by Lake Kachuma. Over the course of my career, I went on to work for federal, tribal, and local government fire departments. I took an early interest in human factors because I wanted to understand how crews succeed under success. Excuse me, I wanted to understand how crews succeed under stress and risk. And I wanted to find better ways to learn from accidents. With a lot of support from hotshots around the country, I built human factors courses with names like the Fireline Mind, or Dynamics of Situation Awareness, or the Two and Seven Tool. I proposed and wrote the human factors pages in the Incident Response Pocket Guide, also known as the IRPG, that every firefighter carries with them on wildland fires. And for initiative and innovation, I received the Paul Gleason Lead by Example Award from the National Wildfire Coordinating Group, NWCG Leadership Development Committee. I was the one of the youngest ever to receive it. I went on to earn a master's degree in human factors and system safety from Lund University in Sweden, and I did pioneering work in accident investigations. I have investigated accidents and other events across the full range of complexity in every Forest Service region in the continental United States. My investigations crossed state lines, regional lines, agency lines, and even national borders. Chapter 9, Anchor and Flank. My entire adult life has revolved around a dedication to human factors, better investigations, and firefighter learning. I didn't plan it that way. Opportunities just kept coming up to do meaningful work, and I kept saying yes. I saw the value it had for other firefighters, so then I just kept taking on the next project and the next one. It's like when you get to a fire with your crew and you find a good anchor point to work from, and you just start working your flank. It's a tried and true tactic of old school hotshot crews. It's called anchor and flank. And you might spend a lot of time figuring out whether to engage at all, where to anchor in, when to start, but when you decide to go, you go aggressive and you work your flank and you don't hold back. And sometimes it's the middle of the night and you have no idea when you'll tie in your piece of line and how to head of you the fire is just ripping and there's no end in sight. And you don't always get to see the full picture or the ultimate outcome, but you put your head down and you keep cutting and you keep swinging and you keep pushing. Keep working your flank until you tie it into the next anchor point. Anchor and flank. Just anchor and flank. And at some point, you look around, and somehow, the fire's hooked. Reinforcements have arrived in the form of other crews and equipment and aircraft, and now they are working the fire too. And soon it's contained, then controlled, then out. And all you did was anchor and flank and focus on your little piece of dirt. To this day, that's pretty much how I do every mission. I guess I never quite outgrew my hotshot roots. Part 2. Hitting the Road. Chapter 10. Back to the Blank Page. Flashback to summer of 2017 behind my fire station in Orange County, California. 
next to the pull-up bars. You can imagine what I felt four years after Yarnell, sitting on a rough cut slab of red oak behind our station, holding a blank sheet of paper with nothing on it but the heading, what we learned from the 2013 Yarnell Hill fire, with a double underline under the heading. I had done hill sprints that morning and was between extra pull-up sets. And I thought, maybe if I pulled out that paper and took one more look, something would come to me. I spent weeks, I had spent weeks trying to put something on it. I couldn't avoid it anymore. We failed. As a profession, we failed. We failed to make this accident count for our future. I couldn't find a single way we made ourselves better than if the deaths never happened. I started crumpling up the paper in one hand to stash it and forget it. No, no, I decided I'm not ignoring this any longer. My mind started probing around for who to blame. No, no, that's not going to get us anywhere, I decided. But, but maybe we just need to be patient. Good things take time, right? And then I thought, so are we going to wait another four years? No, it's been long enough. Whoever we were waiting for, they never showed up. Face it, nobody's coming. At that point, I had three options. Option one, let it go. Focus on other projects. Choose to move on. I did that before. I could do it now. This time, if I walk away, it needs to be a definitive and final no. The end. Option two, tell myself a nice story. Something soothing. Something that would make me feel better, even if I know it's not true. Option three, ride down the path of anger. Be mad for a while, then settle into a nice, lifelong resentment. Surely there would be no shortage of grievances to pile up. I could spend all my energy blaming people, ranting about what they ought to do, muttering different versions of, they're bad and I'm helpless. I could tell that poison story over and over, never acting on the good that's in my power. Those were my options. Drop it, deny it, or dwell in resentment. <laughs> All right, well, on that positive note, we will put the book down for now. Um, little spoiler for the next episode, I end up deciding that I didn't want to do any of those three options of drop it, deny it, or dwell in resentment. And I ended up finding a fourth option called do something uh, and we'll talk about that next week but I do want to ask you a question about the blank page what do you think go back to that scene where I'm sitting behind my station sitting there looking at that blank page and on the top it said what we learned from the 2013 Yarnell Hellfire and it was underlined twice and that's all that was on the page and I told you about that and how it was blank. And my question for you is, what would you put on that page? 
there's a lot of examples of how crews and individuals learn some lessons, but I'm not sure how the how as a profession the fire service really moved forward. I gave a few examples from history about how the fire service traditionally makes progress after tragedies. One good example is that pre-1949, there wasn't really formal fire behavior training, at least not for wildland fire. Guys just kind of went out and did stuff, and there, there wasn't any real um, organized training or, or formal training about how fire behaves or how blow-up conditions occur. It was just kind of what you cobble together through your experience or talking to other people with more experience than you. That's it. Then, after 1949, after Mangulch, where 12 smoke jumpers died, after that, the profession made this huge paradigm shift. There's this huge push to study fire behavior and train firefighters. So today, when you take S190 or 290 or 390, those fire behavior training courses, you're an heir of their effort. You're a beneficiary. It's like your heritage. You're benefiting from how other firefighters saw a problem and did something to solve it. So when I ask myself this question, what did we do as a profession? Well, historically, firefighters, what did we do as a profession after Yarnell? Well, historically, firefighters do big things after big tragedies, and I wasn't sure what we did after Yarnell. And maybe you see it differently. Maybe if you had that blank page, you would have written something on there. Um, if that's true, I wish you would have said something to me. Uh, but at the time, I couldn't think of anything. Um, so what do you think? If you were staring down at that blank page that says, what we learned from the 2013 Yarnell Hillfire, what would you put on that page looking around at the fire service today? And if you can't think of anything, well, then that's when I go back to, okay, well, have we learned everything there is to learn? Obviously not. Obviously, there's lessons. They're still out there. We haven't learned everything we could. Okay, well, then what if something happens tomorrow? What if another Yarnell happens tomorrow? And we could have prevented it if we had learned from what happened in Granite Mountain. What if? So that's what I was thinking and feeling standing by the pull-up bars. And I just knew there had to be other people out there who thought the same way. And I had to, I had to do something. I had to find a way to do something. And I figured uh, if I could just find a way to do something then the people who are of like mind could take it and run with it and do make it their own and do it their own way for their crew, their agency, their department. So that's the background. That's the background of where I'm coming from, why I had to do something, and why I'm doing what I'm doing. Um, if you're anything like me, you know, you read something once and you don't want to look at it again when you're done. But as I'm rereading this book, it strikes me. Uh, I try to be real concise when I wrote it and try to keep the chapters real tight. And so there's a lot of layers of meaning packed into these short little chapters. Um, I know some people uh, 
like to take their time to kind of read slow and then go back over stuff and absorb and digest ideas at their own pace. So I wanted to let you know um, if that's how you are as a reader. I just went in and dropped the price of the ebook to 99 cents on Amazon. I don't know how long we'll leave it there, um, but as of the time of this recording, uh, the ebook is 99 cents. Just search for Brad Mayhew Origins, or you can go to my website, firelinefactors.com. All right. See you in the next episode.